Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you. Thank you for joining wherever you, yes, you person, you unrepeatable you, wherever you are, maybe you're jogging down the street in New York City. Mm. Maybe you are doing the laundry in Taiwan. Mm. Maybe you are commuting to work in Argentina. Or maybe you are, I don't know, what else could somebody, stepping in the shower with a waterproof Bluetooth speaker in Austin, Texas. I think I just nailed one. <laughs> you know who you are. If I actually was on the... <laughs> if I was right, I want that naked person from Austin, Texas, who was just stepping in the shower with a waterproof Bluetooth speaker to listen to our podcast to let let us know. <laughs> That is pretty awesome. Not that there's a prize given. We just want to know. (laughs) I was just randomly thinking about all the people around the world who are tuning in. What an amazing, amazing thing that people from around the world listen to this podcast. You know, it's a joy. We're coming together to share um, just the encouragement of our faith and our journey together. So thank you for entering into that with us. And we pray that... Um, whatever we share today might really encourage you in your journey, um, bring you some joy and hope, something that can just bless you. Like, here's an example of something that just is blessing us right now. August peaches. August peaches. So where we are, the peaches, the local peaches are so tasty. And I mentioned that in part because, you know what, we can have all kinds of challenges going on in our lives, things that we wish we could be doing that we can't. And sometimes the Lord just wants us to take a deep breath and like receive a blessing that he's giving us in the midst of life. There are all kinds of little blessings. And this is just an example that we experience. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this at the end of August and just that change of, of season is kind of in the air. Like we live in the woods and the trees <clears throat> reflect the light differently. They're already some of the leaves are beginning to to fall a little bit more. Not you know not full on autumn by any stretch, but there is a change that you can feel. the The angle of the light is different. the The smell of the breeze is a little different, and the August peaches are juicy. Yes. And yeah, I'm thinking of that song from the mid '90s from. How's this for the name of a band? The Presidents of the United States of America. What song? Millions of peaches, peaches for me. (laughs) Millions of peaches, peaches for free. Look out! Yeah, that one. Well, whatever it is for you that just blesses you and communicates a simple joy that's comforting, that says God's creation is good, He loves you, I... I pray you are able to enter into that, and I pray we enter into our August peaches with that heart of gratitude. Amen. Amen. Tell us if you have any updates about the TOB Institute. Yes. Well, we just announced for the first time in our last episode 
that we have opened registration for a very exciting pilgrimage, which is going to be a river cruise next October 2023 on the... I'm going to say it wrong again. What is it? The Seine River. The Seine River in France. And this is going to be a journey into St. Therese and her little way through the lens of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. We're going to be linking it all together and showing how St. Therese and John Paul II complement one another. And I'm very excited because, Wendy, the plan is that you will be joining us. That's right. And that makes me really, really happy. Mm. And I guess we could even say it's kind of an Ask Christopher West hosted by Wendy West trip. <laughs> okay. Why do you laugh? Uh, well, I I don't quite know what that means, but that's okay. I don't okay. either, but <laughs> you and I are going to be on it. That's right. And I bet you people are going to ask us questions. And our response will be, listen to the podcast. No. Why don't you? <laughs> We sure won't say that. Yeah, so check out the link to that. Uh, we're going to be spending uh, several days on a river cruise, and we're going to have the whole boat to ourselves. It will sell out. There are only 45 rooms. So between, you know, however many single people might get a room for themselves or married couples might be coming, uh, we're, we're guessing it'll be about I don't know, could be about 80 people, could be about 60 people, depending on how that all shakes down. But we're going to have the whole boat to ourselves. We're going to be talking every day about the theology of the body and the little way. And we're going to be going to Lesseux, along with many other stops in France. You can check out the whole itinerary and learn more uh, at the link in the show notes. We also have some courses coming up this fall. We have Theology of the Body Level 1 online. We have Theology of the Body Level 2 in person, first week of October, and then Theology of the Body in the Interior Life with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm teaching the first two, TOB 1 and 2, and Father Timothy Gallagher is going to be teaching Theology of the Body in the Interior Life. So mm -hmm. check out his work. If you don't know about Father Timothy Gallagher, just Google him, learn more about him. He's one of the great, <clears throat> excuse me, he's one of the great experts in the United States, and I know he travels internationally as well in making St. Ignatius's spiritual principles of discernment accessible and relatable for the lay person, hmm. for the normal person in the pew. So what I've done with Theology of the Body, you might say Father Gallagher has done with Ignatian spirituality, and we're going to be wedding these together. This is one of my favorite things to do, is to show how Theology of the Body is, is beautifully wed to all these other theological gifts and the, the treasures that other saints have given us, whether it's Therese or St. Ignatius or St. Thomas Aquinas or Augustine, or you can just go down the list to St. Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross. I mean, I love showing how the theology of the body shines a light on the whole theological tradition and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for a question? Let's do it. This patron question is from an anonymous priest. He says, I'm preparing to celebrate the wedding of my cousin to a lovely woman. He is Catholic, but he has struggled with his faith for some time. In order to, to be coherent, he doesn't receive communion. As I've prepared them for the wedding and for marriage, I've found that he does intend the essential aspects of marriage. They want to be married within Mass. 
This means the bridegroom will not be receiving the Eucharist. Mm. It is honest, but also odd. What do you think about it? Do you have any advice for me or for them? Mm. I have to say my first reaction is to be impressed with his integrity. How often do people just take the Eucharist for granted and in, in knowledge that they are not in agreement with the Church's teaching, not in communion with the Church, nevertheless receive communion in the Church. And that is... I'm not saying this in any way to assign culpability. I don't know people's hearts, but objectively speaking, I'm not, I'm not venturing into the subjective realm here. That is not my intention. That's between them and God. But objectively, there is dishonesty in receiving communion when you are not in communion with the church. So I celebrate this man's integrity. That is a, a beautiful thing that is to be affirmed. And Father, here are, here are just a couple other thoughts I'll share. Uh, I think it's an occasion to, to affirm him, to, to bless him right there, to, to bring it right out into the light and say, hey, I really affirm. This means you really understand at a level much deeper than a lot of Catholics who are, you know, going up there and casually receiving the Eucharist. This man really understands the seriousness and meaning of receiving communion. That is to be affirmed. And if indeed it comes to the wedding day and he does not receive the Eucharist, hey, that could be a teaching moment. Uh, you know very well, Father, um, that at, uh, at Catholic weddings, especially when there are you know, lots of non-Catholic people there, something has to be said about what Catholics believe about the Eucharist. And... and hey, that could be your launching pad right there, to, if, if he would be okay with it. You don't have to obviously clear it with him. But that could be a teaching moment for everybody that might be a little uncomfortable, certainly out of the ordinary, unusual, to call attention to it. Maybe it's not appropriate, especially if he doesn't want it. But if he would be okay with it, that could be a launching pad where you could give some beautiful catech catechesis on what the Eucharist is and what the Catholic Church believes about it, and what it means to receive communion, and there's no better place to do that in the con than in the context of a wedding, right? Because the Eucharist is the consummation of the marriage between Christ and the Church. So that might be one path to go down. Use it as a teaching moment. Use it as an opportunity for affirmation of Him. But another, uh, another angle or another approach would be in your affirmation of Him, in your private conversations with Him, let that be an open door to... to Say, hey, what's keeping you from receiving the Eucharist? Uh, what, what, what is the issue? And can you walk with him as his cousin and as a Catholic priest? Can you accompany him in and through those difficulties with a goal of, of reconciling him to the Church in such a way that it would be a beautiful opportunity for him to come to receive communion? Uh, those would be two approaches, I think, either one could be beautiful and fitting, and, and obviously you, you want—I I would suggest you'd want to approach him regardless uh, with the, the latter approach, uh, inviting him, asking him, 
uh, what the obstacle is, seeing if it can be overcome, working towards full communion, reconciliation there. But if that doesn't happen, would he be okay with using his not receiving communion at his wedding as a teaching opportunity for others? It's, it's a powerful teaching opportunity of integrity. And I think it could be a, something that pricks the consciences of people in the congregation in a good way, not in a heavy-handed way, but in a, in a way that makes them think and reflect about what the Eucharist really is. I'm struck just by the, the witness somehow of this um, couple, that they want to be married in the church, in a mass, even where he is on his journey right now. That, that speaks to my heart, that of people that are um, honest, as you said, and looking for grace. And it is not desirable that, uh, you know, that the couple wouldn't receive communion together on their wedding day. Of course, we don't desire that. Yet the honesty of it um, just gives me a certain hope for them as a couple. I don't think that means it's going to be easy. But um, yeah, I think definitely just is causing me to have a desire to pray for them as a couple in their journey of faith. Um and for your relationship, Father, with this cousin, that that this very encounter of planning the wedding could be an opportunity, as Christopher said, to deepen your walk with your cousin. I'll, I'll share a quick story here that I, I may have mentioned in the previous episode. Forgive me, I can't keep them all straight. We're almost at 200 episodes. Um, but when I was 20, 22 or 23, I went to an Easter vigil where a friend was coming into the church, and he stood up there in front of everybody, and he said, I believe and profess everything the Catholic Church believes and professes. He was welcomed into communion with the church, and he received communion in the church. And I made the connection for the first time that his profession of faith was what made receiving the Eucharist honest. I believe and profess everything the Catholic Church believes and professes. Well, at age 22, I did not believe and profess everything the Catholic Church believes and professes. I was so angry and, and confused about that blasted contraception issue. And I knew I was wrestling with that. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe the Church's teaching. And so I was convicted that night, and I didn't go to communion that night. And refraining from communion that night, I wanted to, out of honesty, I realized, wow, I've been going to up to the Eucharist in a dishonest way. I'm saying something with my body. I'm in communion with the church. That wasn't true. I wasn't in communion with the church. And that, that was a very, very important moment in my life that night. In fact, my whole journey into this ministry, you might even say, that was pivotal because I knew that night I either needed to come to terms with the church's teaching on contraception or I needed to leave the church because I was protesting what the church taught. And if you're protesting what the church teaches, guess what that makes you? A protestant. That's in honesty what my situation was. I was a Protestant at heart. Going on that journey, uh, guess what? It led me to discover John Paul II's theology of the body, and dang, were, the, were my eyes open. The scales fell off my eyes, and I came to understand the Church's teaching and devote my life to helping others understand it. So, Father, there you go. Could be an amazing opportunity that, that is a turning point in people's lives if you, if you feel invited to teach from that 
point. Hmm. Wow. Our next question is from a listener named Jeannie. Bless you, Jeannie. Where in the Bible does it explicitly state that it is a sin to have sex outside of marriage? And where does the Catholic Church state that it is a mortal sin? Yeah, those those questions, uh, and I don't, Jeannie, I don't know if this is the angle you're you're approaching the question, but the question, where does the Bible say explicitly, fill in the blank? Those questions often come from a mistaken understanding of the role of the Bible, as if the Bible was some kind of proof text for uh, moral questions, uh, as if you could find every moral truth explicitly stated in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt not cut off your neighbor's arm with a chainsaw. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does, does it say that. But anyone with a, an appropriate biblical worldview is going to know that cutting off your neighbor's arm with a chainsaw is not in keeping with a biblical vision of, of what it means to be human. So I just wanted to say that at the start. We, as Catholics, uh, it, we have to recall that, number one, the Bible is a Catholic book. The Catholic Church gave the Bible to the world. Right? It's and, and that means the Catholic Church knows how to read the Bible correctly. Um, there are over 30,000 Christian denominations because of disagreements about how to read the Bible. Well, I don't like the way you interpret the Bible, so I'm going to go start my own church. Well, I don't like the way you interpret the Bible, so I'm going to go start my own church. Well, I don't like the way you interpret the Bible, so I'm going to go start my own church. That has happened over 30,000 times over the last 500 years since the start of the Protestant Reformation. This is the gift of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, if it is who Jesus said it was, the church that he established to teach the truth in season and out of season, we can trust the mind and heart of the teaching office of the church because it's guided by the Holy Spirit to lead the human race into all truth in season and out of season. So oftentimes that, that approach, where does the Bible say explicitly such and such, is coming from a, I don't believe what the church really is. And if that's the question, then that's an honest question. Let's address that question. Um, so I don't know, Jeannie, where you're coming from. But if the, if the underlying question is, I really don't trust the church's teaching, then I would just invite you, Jeannie, to, to pray into who and what is the church. Uh, read some books as to who, uh, that would help you understand who and what is the church. Read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, read books like um, Scott Hahn's uh, Rome Sweet Home, uh, someone who was raised Protestant, was a Protestant minister, and had a major eye-opening experience later in life that brought him into the fullness of faith in the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, those kind of books, those kind of resources can be very eye-opening and helpful to come to a deeper appreciation and trust in the teaching office of the Church. All of that said, Let's look at what the Scripture says about human sexuality. And this is what the theology of the body is. 
It's not looking for proof texts. It's not looking for one-liners where you can point to chapter and verse and say, well, the Bible says here that you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. Therefore, da-da-da-da-da. Well, that also is an argument of authority that basically, what do you, do you trust the Bible? Do you trust the church? Um, all these questions come up in trying to address appropriately your question. What the scripture holds out to us is that the purpose of being male and female is to express divine love. Bottom line, male and female, he created them in the image and likeness of God, he made them, and he called them to be fruitful and multiply. That call to be fruitful and multiply is a call to live in the image in which we are made. And the image in which we are made is the eternal exchange of life-giving love that is called the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From all eternity, from all eternity, the Father is generating the Son to share with Him the love that is called the Holy Spirit. God is not a solitude, St. John Paul II said. God is a family because you have fatherhood, you have sonship, and you have the bond of love that is the Holy Spirit. Male and female, he created them. In fact, Scripture says, this is God speaking, let us make man in our image. Let us. God refers to himself here in the plural. Although the Trinity would not be definitively revealed until Mary said yes to heaven's wedding proposal, and conceived in her womb the second person of the Trinity through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity was an eternal reality, and there's a foreshadowing of that revelation right in the book of Genesis. Let us make man in our image. What does all this mean? It means we are called to live and love as God lives and loves, and that call is chiseled by God in the sexual difference. The question about premarital sex versus post-marital sex, I think is the wrong way to frame it. It's the wrong way to understand it. The question is rather marital sex versus non-marital sex. Marriage is a prerequisite to have marital sex, but even married people can have non-marital sex. What do I mean? Sex is only marital in as much as it expresses and accurately reflects divine love. John Paul II puts it this way, we can tell moral good and evil in the sexual relationship based on whether or not man and woman are forming a faithful sign of divine love. Sexual intercourse, this is the proposal. Sexual intercourse is meant to be a bodily expression of how God loves. How does God love? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am, I, I, I am with you to the end of the age, forever. Uh, I, I have come so that my bride might have life and have it to the full, right? God's love is freely given. It is given without any reservation. It's a faithful gift. I will never leave you or I forsake you. It's a life-giving gift. I came so that my bride might have life and life to the full. Free, total, faithful, fruitful love. Sex is only what it's meant to be, and it only corresponds to the dignity of the person. This is the proposal of the church to the world. 
in as much as it is an expression of the ecstasy and total outpouring and surrender of divine love. Another name for that kind of outpouring, another name for that kind of unreserved total gift of self is marriage. This is what I mean by marital sex. I mean sex that expresses that kind of love. There are a lot of people who are married who, when they have sex, do not express that kind of love. And just because they're married doesn't make what they're doing under the sheets okay, right? Non-marital sex can happen within marriage. Marital sex cannot happen outside of marriage. So this is why I say premarital sex versus postmarital sex doesn't get us into the nitty-gritties of, of what the church is really holding out. What the church is really holding out is the call to love divinely. That's food for thought, Jeannie. I hope it's helpful to you. I know Wendy's going to add some stuff to here too, but let me just say one final thing. Please, please, please read Good News About Sex and Marriage. We'll have a link to that book in the show notes. It's 150 of all of the hot-button questions out there explained through the help of John Paul's Theology of the Body, and I think you'll find it a great blessing. Hmm. Jeannie, I, as Christopher said, we don't know your situation, and I I find myself really, as Christopher's answering your question also, just really praying for you. And if there is a man in your life about whom you're asking this question, praying for him as well. Because what the church is holding out is held out out of love and desire for your good, out of seeing that what you will only regret what will only take you further from the Lord, that is why the church is letting you know that is not the path to go down out of deep love for you both. And sometimes when we are kind of caught up in a situation where our passions are very aroused and we start to feel just like, why are we even frustrating ourselves? We can fail to see clearly anymore how deeply loved we are by the Lord, how much He desires our good. And so I, that's my prayer, is that you and this man would see how much the Lord loves you and desires your good, does not want you to tell Him, well, here's what's good for me, but to come to Him with an open heart and say, Lord, show me the good plan you have for my life and help me. I'm fallen and I'm weak and it's hard for me to even think about following your way, Lord. Please help me. Help me to do that. If that could be just an honest prayer um, in this um, question. I'll just share for myself. I've experienced uh, kind of an unusual way that that desire to follow the church was attacked in my life. I just want to share that real quickly. Is that in my heart as a teenager, which is kind of the time when people start talking about sex and their friends are having sex and all these kind of realities are in more in your awareness. Um, I felt a deep desire to trust that what God was holding out for me in marriage was far better than anything I could mm. experience outside of marriage. And I felt that so deeply that it was almost like not a question. I'm not tempted. But here's how the evil one just wants to 
get at even me. <laughs> he wants to get at all of us. I asked a teacher, this was at a public school, if he had any advice for me as I was graduating from high school. And he said, Wendy, I think one of the first things you do when you get to college, you need to get laid. Mm. He could see that I was a pure person. And without any prior, prior conversation, I'm sure he just knew that about me. It was a shocking thing for him to say. But it was also a little bit of an attack. Like, yes, it, well, not a little bit of an attack. You know, that is of, direct after your heart diabolic. Yeah, it was crudola. implying something that was good about me was not yes, good and yes. to be discarded. And so I replied, I'm not going to do that. Not until my wedding night. And here came the attack again. Ugh. Any guy that would wait for a wedding night would be a total nerd. Mm. You know, so like there it is again. Like, let's come at this another angle. I'm not accusing the teacher of consciously seeing this, but the evil one was after me Absolutely. to make me doubt my worth and my goodness. And and I I said, by God's grace, I said, I don't care if he's a total nerd, if he Woo! loves me. <laughs> I'm about love. I'm about truth. And that is a hard thing to be about. And so I just want to encourage our listeners, if you're struggling if you sense the evil one attacking you, and he does, to call on God's truth and to speak it. Wendy, I am happy, delighted to be your total nerd. <laughs> yes, I'm happy you're my total nerd. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll just add this uh, very briefly. I didn't want to start here because I didn't want to give credence to the whole proof text approach to Scripture. But if you are looking for specific scriptures that speak of fornication, fornication is the biblical word Paul uses in his letters to talk about sex outside of marriage or before marriage, uh, what I would call non-marital sex, or uh, yeah, you could also say adultery is non-marital sex, obviously. But yes, look, just do a Google search, fornication in the Bible, or what does the Bible say about fornication, if you're looking for the specific verses. But again, I, I want to discourage that approach to the Bible. Um, same with the Catechism. You asked, where does the Catholic Church specifically teach these things? Well, it's all 2,000 years of Catholic teaching is summed up in the Catechism and expressed beautifully. Please read the chapters in the Catechism or the sections in the Catechism that deal with the Sixth Commandment and with uh, marriage, and you'll find beautiful teachings there, uh, beautifully worded, beautifully presented, and I think it'll bless you. Our next question is from an anonymous teenager. Quite often on your podcasts, you talk about looking at what our bodies and actions are saying versus our words. As a young woman, I wear makeup, not every day, but a considerable amount. When I look at the reason for wearing makeup, sometimes I just enjoy the process of putting it on, like the makeup is the paint and my face is the canvas. But other times it might be coming from a place of feeling like the body God gave me is not enough. Society has certain expectations that make me feel lacking, such as large breasts, blonde hair, and a perfect face with no blemishes, long eyelashes, etc. What thoughts do you have on both makeup and beauty standards? Is using makeup rejecting the body God gave me? And how can I feel like the body I have is a gift? Awesome questions. Wow. This person is, is really just 
taking a, a normal experience of a woman's life, putting on makeup, and and using it. I really love this about this person, using that normal occasion to reflect on really deep, profound questions. And I just commend you for that. It just shows you the depth of your soul. Keep asking these questions. There's no way Wendy and I in the next few minutes can answer all of those questions fully, but hopefully we can can point you in the right direction. I love what you said. I, I've never thought of it that way, that your face is the canvas and the makeup is is paint and you're you're accenting this is the way I would say it, you're accenting uh, God's beauty. Um, John Paul II has some beautiful things to say in his book, Love and Responsibility, about dress and attractiveness and beauty. And some of the things he says are surprising to certain sensibilities in certain Catholic circles, in the sense that, wow, you wouldn't expect that coming from a guy who became Pope, how at peace John Paul II is with the human body and with sexuality, when he says things like, accenting sexual values in dress is not always immodest. In fact, he says the goal of modesty is not to erase sexual attractiveness, but to present it in its appropriate way, right? Well, what is the appropriate way to present sexual attractiveness? The appropriate way to present sexual attractiveness is to awaken love and not merely to arouse lust. And I think this distinction brings us down into the crux of a lot of what you are are wondering about and asking about, reflecting on. The way the world teaches us to to value beauty is almost exclusively for the sake of arousing lust in others. We are not trained, we are not educated to to present ourselves in a way that awakens love. And we're not even trained to to make these distinctions. We We confuse love and lust, and we often call lust itself love. John Paul II says, what we often call love if we're honest with ourselves, and if we're willing to give it an honest examination, often amounts to little more than the mutual use of two people, use of one another, right? And the opposite of love here, in John Paul's understanding, is not hatred. The opposite of love here is to use a person as a means to an end. And what we do when we're lusting is we often use the other as a means to a a very selfish end. So, I, I would hold out to you, as you are putting on your makeup and you're asking that question, why am I putting on my makeup? Is there, and I think you've already expressed this in, in the way you worded the question, is there a fear there that you're not lovable as you are? And do you, th- do you think that you have to put makeup on to be lovable, to be found attractive, to be found desirable? Those are questions to put to the Lord. Lord, am I lovable? Do you do you know me? Do you see me? And ultimately, no human being can give you the definitive answer to those deep questions. We make this mistake 
over and over and over again as human beings with these deep, deep questions of the heart. Am I seen? Am I known? Am I worthy? Am I desirable? Am I lovable? Human beings in God's plan are certainly meant to play some kind of role in helping us answer those questions. But only our maker in the final analysis, only the one who authored us into existence, has the authority, I use that word specifically here, the author of our existence is the only one with the authority mm. to answer those questions in a way that, that is a solid, totally trustworthy, unambiguous, real answer to those questions. No human being in the final analysis has the ultimate authority to answer those questions of your heart because no human being authored you into existence. God and God alone authored you into existence. Obviously, He authored you into existence through your parents who had to give their own human yes to all of that. So, we cooperate with God here, but we are not the authors here. Um, makeup could be a mask, it could be hiding something, but not necessarily. And I'm thinking, Wendy, and maybe you can speak into this if you feel led to. Mm. I remember you telling me when you were out of college and you were you were wanting men to know that you were ready to to date. And you kind of bought some new clothes and and started dressing not not in a provocative way, not in a I want to arouse lust in men kind of way, but you were presenting yourself to the world saying I'm a young woman and and I I want other men at, at the Catholic youth group you're going to at your parish in New Jersey to to find me attractive. And and I remember when you shared some am I recalling that correctly first? And and I, I'm I'm remembering when you were sharing things with me along those lines, thinking, that's appropriate, that's that's right, that's good, that's that's not out of line with a proper understanding of yourself. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember sharing it the way you just said it. And sometimes the way we remember things sort of has to do with the thoughts that we've had since, since then, then, reflecting sure. back sure. on it. So, you know, it may be that I didn't actually say it that way, but but you picked up on that kind of meaning and right, stored right. it that way. Right. But I, what I do recall is that, I mean, this is kind of personal, but that... At some point in um, college, I started just wearing kind of tank tops instead of bras that because they were more comfortable. And as I got a little bit older and was graduating from college, I started to think, you know, there's something here where I'm kind of in the culture we live in, sort of masking my femininity by this undergarment because if I wore a bra, that would kind of show a little bit more my femininity. And I wanted to embrace my femininity. I wanted mm -hmm. to not feel it needed to be hidden away somehow. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I'm remembering about a yes, change that, in me. That's, that's refreshing my, my memory. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, it was a step forward in my growth, yeah. you know, just to say like, okay, yes, I care about comfort and I 
chose that path out of a desire for comfort at a certain point. But there's more to the way I dress than just my comfort. And I was reflecting on that. And also, I think with makeup, you know, there was something of saying like it, putting on a certain amount of makeup communicated my sense of my own self-worth in this society. In this in society, this right. Situation. Yeah, we have to just say this very clearly that so many of these questions are culture bound yes, and influenced deeply by the culture in right. which we live. You know, uh, a lot of people, I've heard this argument that uh, lipstick is inherently immoral because it's what prostitutes use to attract their clients. You know, a hundred years ago, lipstick was uh, invented by the prostitute profession or something. Not that it was invented a hundred years ago, but that's just, that doesn't even hold, that just is not logical. I mean, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But even if it is true, if lipstick was invented for prostitutes, that doesn't mean that every woman who uses lipstick is therefore trying to be a prostitute. It's just the logic is so, uh, sorry, I, I, I can get, <laughs> I can get zealously irate at people who say stupid things. Um, right. Yeah. It, <laughs> hello. Hello. There, yes. These are culture bound questions. And in mm -hmm. our culture, dressing a certain way, uh, as you were saying, you're, you, you, you had a, change from wearing a tank top that did not in you know kind of if i may say so flattened you out yeah whereas a, a bra made you look more womanly yeah well guess what this is exactly uh, what john paul is getting at when he says dressing in such a way to accent sexual values is part of awakening love in another mm. right the sexual values of a woman meaning the shape of her body as a woman, uh, should be rightly honored by her and by others. Now, this is delicate, delicate stuff because, you know, what, what if a woman is accenting her values in this world solely to draw attention to her breasts in such a way that arouses lust? Okay, now we have a problem. Immodesty in dress is present, John Paul II says, when someone dresses in such a way with the explicit intention to arouse lust in others. But the opposite of immodesty in dress is not to dress shapelessly or to dress, um, I'm looking for a word and I can't find it. Uh, what's that? It's not shaggily. It's, what's the word I'm looking for, Wendy? <laughs> I don't uh, know. Frumpily, frump, frump, <laughs> yeah, frumpily. The opposite of the opposite of of immodesty is not dressing frumpily. Uh, the opposite of immodesty. What is immodesty in dress? Dressing in such a way with the explicit intention to arouse lust. The opposite of that is not covering all revelation of the fact that you're a man or a woman. The opposite of immodesty in dress would be dressing in such a way that you awaken love. That you, and that comes much more from the way you hold yourself and understand yourself than from what clothing you are wearing. Uh, obviously, clothing plays a role in all that. Um, but again, modesty is a virtue, and modesty as a vir virtues come from the heart. Right? You could have two different people. Let's just go with the perspective of, of a woman. You could have two different women wearing the same dress one 
is behaving immodestly and the other is behaving modestly because of what's going on in their hearts. And I'm telling you, men can pick up on it. Just as you said, your high school teacher knew without ever having an explicit conversation mm -hmm. that you had a pure heart. Mm -hmm. People pick up on it. People pick up on the vibes. Uh, a woman can walk into a room, two, let's say those two women walk into a room, one's behaving immodestly because of what's going on in her heart. The other woman is behaving modestly because of what's going on in her heart, and they both have the same dress on. Well, that would pose problems in itself if they walked into a room with the same dress. Because women don't like doing that. Um, do you <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that aside, the two women wearing the same dress walk into the room. They are both sending out very, very different vibes into that room. And other people can pick up on that mm -hmm. if you're discerning. So the vibe is, you know, what are you sending out from your heart when you're wearing makeup? Uh, what are you sending out from your heart when you're dressing in a certain way? All of those questions are really at the heart of giving a, 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 an appropriate answer to the questions. And because nobody can really get in there and know for certain what's going on in your heart, those are questions really between you and the Lord. And I just want to say one more thing. It, in this question, our anonymous teen questioner didn't actually bring up modesty or desire to be sexually attractive to men in her question. So, and I can remember being a teenager and kind of, you know, not really sensing that the way teens were portrayed in, say, movies or other media, I couldn't entirely relate to it. I maybe felt younger than the way they were portrayed. And there is sort of a hypersexualization or adulting of you know, younger people that yep, can go yep. on in the world. And I don't want to do that to our questioner. Good point. Um, that even if you're simply just wanting to look beautiful out of just a genuine desire to be happy about who you see in the mirror or about who others are seeing, um, that that's also a very good thing. And women in all kinds of circumstances of life who are not encountering anybody that they are wanting to, you know, attract to themselves in terms of a sexual partner can still feel, you know, very um, inclined to wear some makeup as part of their overall appearance. And that what you talked about is sort of drawing out love. Think about that, that that's good for us to love one another. Yeah. And we love what we see of God's goodness in one another. And sometimes the way we present ourselves helps others to have an experience of God's goodness in us. So uh, all of that is sort of a little bit bigger picture of of our appearance being part yeah, well, of a bigger story. It reminds me of like when you go out to dinner with, with other women that you're friends with, mm -hmm. you know, if you have the mom's night yeah. out or whatever, you'll dress up and put makeup on yeah. and that I don't think for a minute you're going out that dressed like that to attract some other man right right obviously so so I'm so glad you brought that up I I kind of zoomed in on that one aspect of it uh, I'm also reminded here of a scripture that just recently came up in the cycle of readings where Yahweh is betrothing himself to Israel mm -hmm. and and Yahweh says I will I will dress you in finest gold mm -hmm. and I will put rings in your ears and rings in your nose and you'll be bedecked with jewels Aww. you know that that's a he's not saying i will remove all of the adornment so that i see you you know in your 
plainness that I made you as if that's the most beautiful presentation of you. Scripture is using the very imagery of culture here and the way we as human beings like to accent uh, mm. aspects of the way God made us. So there's my, my bottom line point here is there's a healthy way to approach makeup, jewelry, dress, uh, and there's an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And that's really much more a matter of what's going on in your heart mm-hmm. than anything else. And it's so important that you know in your heart that you are loved in your nakedness, in your plainness, in the size and shape of body that you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in the blemishes on your, your cheeks as a teenager, you are loved there. Yes. And only God has the authority the one who authored you into being, only he has the authority to answer those deep nagging questions uh, about your lovability. So open those questions up to him. And, And that's the beginning of a deep and rich prayer life, to present those questions to the Lord and listen to how he will speak to your heart. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. We invite you to share this episode with anybody that you think could really benefit from it. We also invite you to consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute if you are blessed by our work and want to support it and also experience some added blessings in your journey through what we offer to our patrons. Until next time, everybody, may you know it in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. (laughs) 